Welcome to the Macmillan Report. I'm Marilyn Wilkes, your host, and our guest is Ad Arn Westad, the Ellie Hill Professor of History and Global Affairs. He is a scholar of modern international and global history with a specialization in the history of Eastern Asia since the 18th century. Professor Westad has published 16 books, most of which deal with 20th century Asian and global history. Today, we'll talk with him about his forthcoming book, Empire and Righteous Nation, 600 Years of China-Korea Relations. Welcome, Professor Westad. It's great to be here. So let's begin with an overview of the book. Tell us about it. So this is a book that started as a set of lectures that I gave at Harvard two years ago, mm -hmm. where I tried to provide an overview of the relationship between China and Korea over a long period of time, to sort of try to get to the essence of what that relationship is like. So mm -hmm. it started very much from the idea of the centrality, the significance of that particular relationship today. I think whatever happens in the future, relations between China and Korea are going to be pretty important sure. for the international community. And then I developed it from there. So this was actually a case of working backwards in history. So starting with my interest in the contemporary uh, relationship and then working, working back. And it ended up being a, a book much more about history than about the contemporary situation. But hopefully, you know, it will be an opportunity to learn from that sure. past. Okay, and so you have done a lot of work um, uh, on Asia specifically. Why Korea and China? What led you to focus on that relationship? So two things really. I mean, one I mentioned already, it's the contemporary significance of sure. that relationship. So everyone now is preoccupied what's going to happen on the Korean Peninsula. Uh, we are concerned about the North Korean nuclear program and where that would be heading. We're concerned in general about security relationships in, in, in Northeast Asia. So that was one starting point for this. Mm -hmm. And of course, China is the, by far the most significant neighbor right. of, of Korea. Uh, but then there was also a preoccupation with how this has worked through history. So Korea is a small country, bordering a country that for most of its existence has been an empire, China in its various imperial incarnations. Right. And I was quite eager to try to find out a bit more about how that relationship had worked. So for instance, why was Korea never incorporated into the Chinese empire? Why was it always distinct? Why did it have a very clear, specific identification of being outside of the empire? Mm -hmm. That's an interesting question, I think, in the broad sense. Yes, yes. So how did you do the research? So this is a book where I started by giving the lectures, and then I figured out how little I actually knew about much of this. So then I did what I usually do when I write a book. I, I go back to reading, and in this case, mainly what others have written about this, people who know the different periods of the Sino-Korean relationship sure. much better than what I do, for uh, a relatively brief period which deals with the early 20th century. I also looked at some of the document collections that are available. And then I spoke to a lot of people uh, about their work on the past, but also people who are dealing with uh, Sino-Korean relations today. So I spoke with policymakers and officials in Seoul and in Beijing. Mm -hmm. And I also gave um, an early version of these lectures in both of the capitals, so both in Beijing and Seoul, and had the reaction from 
their scholars and their officials. Okay. So that was the sort of genesis of the book. And then I went back to writing and, and hopefully did something that was slightly different from what it was when I first presented the lectures. Okay. And uh, so when you gave your presentations, your lectures um, in China and Korea, and also when you were doing the research in general, mm. did you come across anything? Were you asked anything that surprised you? that you didn't expect? Oh, a lot. I mean, I think um, particularly surprising perhaps today, I mean, when you think about the relationship now between mm -hmm. China and Korea, is the, the mutual preoccupation that people from these two countries have of each other. So China being a big country, a bit like the United States, right? You, mm -hmm. you, can, you, you ask people about relations with other countries, and it's, you know, it's somewhere there, but it's not central to their heart. It's not called part of the core identity of who they are. For many Chinese, Korea is a little bit different because it has been a neighbor for China for millennia. Um, it is so close that young Chinese now who watch South Korean television, television series of various sorts, mm -hmm. um, their reaction is these people are foreign, but they're almost like us. Right. right? And that preoccupation, I think, was a bit surprising to me, how close that relationship is seen as being. And, and on the Korean side, in terms of Chinese culture mm -hmm. and the origins, the common origins, which I write quite a bit about in the book, of Chinese and Korean culture. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's talk about how um, the relationship, how Korea's relationship with China did develop over the course of 600 mm -hmm. years and how it did remain separate from it. Right. So... This book starts in the late 14th century. So it st starts when China gets a new empire, the Ming, uh, which comes in and takes over and sets up a new Chinese state after the fall of the Mongol World Empire. And at the same time, uh, but for somewhat different reasons, Korea also gets a new state formation, mm -hmm. and a new kingdom called the Joseon. Um, and it's very interesting that this happens roughly at the same time. I think much of that has to do with these bigger changes already mentioned the collapse of the Mongol Empire, mm -hmm. probably also changes that happens in the broader East Asian region in terms of trade, in terms of environment, a lot of other things that mm -hmm. happen. But I then try to follow the development of these two states and how they influence each other and what the relationship between them is. Mm -hmm. And I focus in particular for that early period on the cultural relationship. So both of these two states based themselves on Confucian or particularly neo-Confucian thinking. So the renovation of a set of ideas that came out of China more than 2,000 years ago. And that reinvigoration of these ideas. And these ideas are that, you know, family is very important. Uh, the state is very important. The state is the big family, you know, that mm -hmm. everyone is looking at in terms of creating a good society and, and good lives very hierarchical, very didactic. In both societies, this gets an enormous influence uh, through the activities of the state, but also because it's embraced by large numbers, at least of the elite population okay. in both countries. So that's, in a way, the starting point, the formative era of this early modern relationship between China and Korea. And this is one of those points that I think are really important for understanding the relationship today that common heritage, okay. which, of course, the whole region shares to some extent, but it's particularly intense between China and Korea. Mm -hmm. So why do you think that China uh, never brought them into their, uh, the fold of their empire? 
So I think there are two main reasons why it never happened. Uh, the first one which I explore in the book is the development of what you could, with a slightly anachronistic term, call Korean nationalism. Mm -hmm. So at least, I, I, this is my argument in the book, um, um, at least from um, the late 16th century, there is a very clear Korean identity, which is connected to the culture as it had developed during the Ming right. in China, but is still separate from it. And it comes pretty close, I argue, building on the work of, of historians of Korea that have worked on this before, um, very close to what in the 19th century and early 20th century in Europe you would call a nation. Mm -hmm. That's quite unique in many ways, but that identity is important. And then secondly, I think on the Ming side and later on the Qing Empire that took over from the Ming in the early 17th century, there was this idea of Korea as uh, a symbolic ally, as a, as a model ally in a okay. way. Uh, a model vassal, a state that aligned itself with whatever power was in control of China, uh, and therefore had, to some extent, earned the right to be separate from it. It didn't mm -hmm. have to be disciplined. It didn't have to be brought into the empire and told by the emperor, you know, stop misbehaving, live like us, mm -hmm. because in a way they already did that. Right, right. Was there a certain level of respect, do you think, yeah. between the two countries? I think there was a great deal of respect. Now, of course, on the Korean side, on the Joseon side, one always had to be very careful. Living next to an empire is always difficult and sometimes very dangerous. Mm -hmm. And I think the Korean leaders during the Joseon state developed a number of ideas about how they could handle that relationship with the Chinese empires, with the Ming and, and, and later on the Qing. Always be respectful, but also always be very cautious with regard to how you dealt with the empire next door. For instance, uh, the Koreans became masters of knowing much more about the empire than the empire knew about them. Wow. They were extremely good at taking advantage of the ritual visits that they carried out, the so-called tribute missions, uh, to Beijing, uh, figuring out what was important for the empire, what was discussed there. They were, you could put it in modern terms, you could say they were really good at intelligence work. Mm -hmm. And all of this was reported back to Korea, and therefore the Korean kings knew how to react when okay. different kinds of initiatives came out of the mm -hmm. Chinese side. Okay, let's um, jump to more modern times and the Korean War. What effect did that have on international relations in Asia? So I think the Korean War, which of course plays a very important role in this book, transformed international relations in East Asia, just as it transformed the Cold War on a, on a global mm -hmm. scale. It, it militarized everything. Uh, it made the whole situation in Asia between China and, and its neighbors, uh, and of course also the United States, much more difficult and, 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 and much harder to handle than mm -hmm. what had been the case before. Now, I think there would still have been tensions. There would, even without the Korean War, it's very likely that we would have had a division of Korea of some sort, because that comes out of the ideological divides that existed even prior to 1945. Okay. But it militarized everything, and it made things so much harder to, to solve. And, and that's, of course, the effects of which we are living with right up to today. Right, right, of course. So is there anything um, over the course of the 600 years um, that we've learned through history that can help with today's situation, do you think? I hope there's quite a bit. I mean, I, I hope that the book will contribute to that in a, okay. in a way. I mean, first and foremost, the understanding 
uh, as we've touched upon already, of just how hard it is to live next door to one of the world's megastates. Mm -hmm. I mean, how you handle that. And I think this is a challenge today for both parts of Korea, both North and South, in, mm -hmm. in terms of developing, especially as China rises in terms of international affairs and become more significant on a, on a global scale, they have to figure out how do we deal with that relationship? Mm -hmm. How do we deal with it in terms of uh, the economic aspects, the political aspects, the military strategic aspects, you know, or even the cultural right. aspects. Sure. And on this, I think there is a great deal of, of, of learning that can be had from history. You have to be very careful, very cautious in terms of how you do it. But at the, on the other hand, you cannot live uh, a, a, a life that is based on excluding mm -hmm. the empire that is next door. It has to be brought in. So one of the big lessons, I think, from history is that there won't be a solution to the division of Korea, which I think is what is needed in order to avoid the kind of security dilemma that we have at the moment, mm -hmm. without a very strong Chinese involvement. Okay. So China will have to be an active participant in that process, a positive participant in mm -hmm. that process. Without it, it is very unlikely that it will succeed. Mm -hmm. And why do you think uh, China needs to play that role specifically and, and how best for it to do so? Well, so two questions. So, and the, the, the first one um, is simply because of the location of China, its significance in terms of its economic growth and the mm -hmm. growth in its power. Uh, as I show in the book, this has always been the case, with exception of a few periods in which China has been weak and divided. China has been the big guy in that region, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to take that into consideration when you find a more positive solution. The second one is what I hope that China will be moving towards, which is a more positive relationship to Korea as a whole, and first and foremost to South Korea. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and China has come a long way. I mean, you know, uh, less than a generation ago, China and South Korea were enemies. Mm -hmm. Now they trade with each other. They sometimes have disagreements. Um, but there is a great deal of respect among younger Chinese for the achievements in Korea, uh, economic achievements, but also uh, an admiration for what an open, pluralistic society South Korea actually is. Mm -hmm. So I hope that the Chinese government will continue to move along that line of, of linking what is going to happen in terms of the relationship on the Korean Peninsula with the enormous gains that have been made in South Korea. That's the logical development for the Chinese state to move in. But of course, as we know, there are other difficulties that, not least of historical <laughs> of an historical nature, right. that means that China is still linked to North Korea in, right. in, in ways that are not uh, always conducive for inter-Korean relations. And talk about that relationship a little bit more. Where is it today? So China and North Korea are still formal allies, even though the Chinese at times uh, do not want to reflect on that. This is, of course, an historical issue that comes out of the Korean War, and especially the way the Korean War ended. Under Xi Jinping, under the new leadership in China, there has been more of an underlining, particularly over the last two, three years, of an ideological communality between China and North Korea, that mm -hmm. both are led by communist parties, both have the intention of building socialist states. Now, I must confess that if I look at what is actually happening on the ground in China and North Korea, I don't see those similarities. Uh, okay. And I'm not so sure how much China gains, uh, except perhaps in, in terms of its influence inside of North Korea, to underline that point. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that it would be in our interest or anyone else's interest for China to break off relations with North Korea. I think to some extent China has a stabilizing role with regard to the North. 
But I also think it's very important for Chinese leaders to understand where their long-term interests are. And that is connected to the part of Korea that has been making these enormous uh, uh, developments and progress since uh, the 1970s. And mm -hmm. I'm also curious to know your thoughts on um, South Korea and North Korea, because, uh, of course, with President Trump trying to, to broker a deal there, mm. there seem to be um, the two uh, countries coming closer together than they had ever been in the past. So what are your thoughts on that? phenomenon? Well, I mean, so when it comes to the Trump administration, it's very hard to say what's going to happen from now on. I mean, there have been attempts, which I view positively, of trying to pull North Korea into a direct dialogue with the United States. This is what the North Koreans have been saying ever since the Korean War ended, that mm -hmm. they wanted. Um, but so far, the results have been relatively limited. At the same time, there is a parallel process happening between uh, the South and the North, based right. on President Moon's initiatives, which I think have uh, more of a chance of succeeding, at least in the short run, of, of relaxing tensions between mm -hmm. the North and the South. This won't resolve the division, but it will lead us, hopefully, in the direction of a reduction of tension. So what I really worry about with regard to Korea is not just the tension that exists at the moment. The problem with the situation in Korea is that it could lead to war. I mean, it's one of the few situations on a global scale which could easily, by mistakes being made here or in Pyongyang or in Beijing or in Seoul, lead to a cataclysmic war right. uh, with consequences far beyond anything that most of us would regard as imaginable. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the reason why it's so important to try to reduce tension now with the ideal being that at some point in the future, the two parts of Korea would come together again in the United Korea, mm -hmm. which has been the situation for almost all of Korean's history since the time mm -hmm. that I started out discussing. So in terms of you looking at the history of this region, do you think that that could possibly be likely? Yes, I think Korea will be reunified uh, at some point. Uh, I don't know the circumstances under which it would happen, of course I hope it would happen sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. But it's very rare in human history, if you look at it overall, that uh, an artificially divided country, and, a, and particularly a country with that strong a sense of national identity, which I talk about in the book, remain divided for a very long period of time. Now, we can explain why that has happened historically, and I try to do that in the book, but for it to become a forever phenomenon, I think is very, very unlikely. So this is, again, often what happens in history. We say that something cannot be achieved until it suddenly happens. Mm -hmm. right? And that's the lesson, of course, from Europe uh, after the Cold War. It's also the lessons that we draw in a, in a number of other historical cases going further back. There is something about something that belongs together in a cultural sense being, being put back together when the possibilities exist for doing that mm -hmm. domestically and internationally. I'm pretty sure that will happen in Korea as well. Well, that would be something to look forward to for sure. So we look forward to your book, and thank you so much for being here with us today. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you for having me. For more information about Professor Westad and his research, please visit our website at macmillanreport.yale.edu. Be sure to join us again for another episode of the Macmillan Report, made possible through funding from the Whitney and Betty Macmillan Center for International and Area Studies at Yale.